You are Locked On Brewers, your daily Milwaukee Brewers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Lockdown Brewers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ben Larson. Find me on Twitter at Cheesehead Talks, also at Lockdown Brewers, and Facebook.com slash Lockdown Brewers as well. Lockdown Brewers brought to you by Built Bar. Six new amazing flavors. Go check them out at BuiltBar.com. So, uh, Brewers, after an off day, will take on the Twinkadinks in uh, Minneapolis tonight. That's my nickname for them. If you didn't hear the show last week, that's quite original. Uh, growing up in northwestern Wisconsin, I had to call them something. I also came up with the fantastic original uh, Kirby Suckett, okay, because Kirby Puckett was a big-time Hall of Fame player when I was growing up, and I like the Brewers, and the Brewers are pretty much bad most of the time, but I had Kirby Suckett in my back pocket, and that, that just killed in the fifth grade, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk with Dr. Scott today. The reemergence of of Dr. Scott on Lockdown Brewers. Got a lot of good stuff to discuss with Dr. Scott. Corbin Burns, why is he so much better this year? Devin Williams, where did this guy come from? Uh, Also, what happened to Eric Lauer, and why can't Keston Hira hit the fastball? That is what we're talking to Dr. Scott about. So, Dr. Scott from brewmaths.com, Brewers Sabermetrics genius, will join us on the show. Uh, But it is exciting to get back to it. You know, you you left on a high note here before the off days where the Brewers had won three in a row over the Cubs, hanging the L flag three times in a row at Wrigley Field. It's great. And now Corbin Burns re-enters the starting uh, rotation for the Brewers. And it's it's just, I think it's mostly mental here. You'd have to think for Corbin Burns, he's shown that he can be really, really good as a reliever. Uh, He even got into a little trouble his last time out at Wrigley Field, limited the damage, then finished the game. He's thrown five-plus innings to finish the game, and he's been shut down for five-plus innings. So can he do that for the first five-plus innings? Because that's probably what the Brewers are looking for tonight. Everybody ready to go, fully rested, and you're looking for Corbin Burns to be really good, maybe only allowing uh, one or two runs through five-plus, maybe pitch into the sixth, which would be great. But that's really what you're looking for from Corbin Burns. And, you know, everybody talks about his stuff. It's the best stuff uh, that they've ever seen. No, not probably ever seen, but it's really good stuff. And I find it hilarious that we call it stuff. <laughs> we always have. I always, I've, I've always laughed inside when I see guys like Peter Gammons or Tim Kirkchen uh, or anybody, you know, on ESPN uh, doing their analysis and they talk about, you know, Going back as far as, you know, when I was young, Roger Clemens and his stuff. His stuff is really good. He's got great stuff. It's just such a funny term, is it not? We've been saying it for 100-plus years in baseball, but it's a funny term to describe what kind of uh, movement and repertoire a pitcher has. We can't get any more technical than stuff, especially in the age of analytics. Stuff. I just think it's funny. Anyway, 
Uh, Corbin Burns has really good stuff. We know that. <laughs> and so he's going tonight. And, and what will what will he do as a starter? Can he get over? If there's a mental block here, can he get over that? That's what I'll be really interested in as he is, starts, especially in the first couple of innings in Minneapolis. And, you know, like it always is with Corbin Burns, I always want to see how he works himself out of a jam. I mean, it's a little similar to still with Brandon Woodruff when he gets himself into a jam or faces a long at bat. Can he recover? He's still got some work to do there. It's basically the final hurdle in Woodruff becoming an ace. Corbin Burns, long way from me describing him as an ace. He's got to do it for an entire season and, and be really, really good. But he has the potential to do that. He's got more potential than Woodruff, right? And not maybe a ton more, but he's got more. And so that's you know really what we're looking at tonight. That'll be interesting. And then you know, can the Brewers take two out of three? In Minneapolis, tall order. Maybe I shouldn't even be saying that. But if they do, they'll have gone 6-4 and four in this 10-game stretch, which I said I would be ecstatic about, and I will be ecstatic, very much so, uh, to do that and to leave Minneapolis with a record over 500. And then you've got 20 games ahead in the middle third of the season. It includes starting tonight, but so I guess 17 after, after the series here, that you know are winnable. That that are are games that you're facing only three of which you face a team that's above 500 currently. That's Cleveland, but otherwise you got Pirates, Reds, Tigers. You know and the Reds are okay. The Tigers turn out to be okay. But the Pirates are terrible, and you've got seven against the Pirates. So again, like I talked about yesterday, very exciting time here. A key stretch, the middle third of this 60 game sprint for the Brewers to really challenge. I mean, they're going to have to win. You know, it's tough to put a number on it, right? But out of these 20. You know, they're going to have to definitely be over 500, uh, maybe 12 to 15 games. 15's a, a big ask, and I get that. It's a huge ask, uh, even against, you know, mediocre competition. But, but you know, they're going to have to be a few games over 500 for sure, and then that sets you up to compete for the division and compete for a, a good seeding in the playoffs. So that's what we're talking about as things start tonight. But we'll get to Dr. Scott. A lot to be said here. So he's coming up next again. We'll talk about Corbin Burns, Devin Williams. Uh, the the sad case of Eric Lauer and Keston Hira and his troubles with the fastball. So we'll do that all next. You're Locked On Brewers. We mentioned off the top of the show that Locked On Brewers brought to you by Built Bar. And you know, you get a lot of these protein bars, right? And my wife is a classic example of this. She cannot stand the aftertaste. I don't really mind it typically. She can't stand the aftertaste or the, I guess, the chalky feel of a typical protein bar. Well, that's why Built Bar was created. They're the best tasting protein bar ever. They've added six new flavors with a relaunch of their products. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream. They've got cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They had 12, 12 original flavors as well, so lots of flavor with Built Bar. Uh, so check it out. It's very healthy for you. It's great for the keto diet. Right now, they have a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. So that's only uh, good maybe for a you know, very short time left here, but a free cooler while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKDOWN, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKDOWN for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Very excited to bring back to the program. We took this big hiatus because I became overwhelmed with life. Uh, not really overwhelmed, but just, you know, it's, there's no baseball, there's no sports. I had kids at home. I had another business, and I just, it's crazy. Uh, Dr. Scott probably could have used your help. Yay. Because, yeah, you're back, and uh, it's awesome. And maybe I needed a shrink at the time, and that's what you are. I don't know. But you're a real medical doctor who also, uh, you know, really becomes a nerd about Brewer's stats, yes. and I love it. 
<laughs> yes, yes. If, if you want to talk Brewer stats, I'm your guy. Yeah. Uh, brewmaths.com, at brew underscore maths on Twitter. Brewers, Sabermetrics, genius. Dr. Scott, after a few months <laughs> off the show, is back on the show. Appreciate it. And, and good to be back. So Good to be back. It is good to be back. So the Brewers have had this restart. Let me just start with a general question. Because it's been a little crazy. They're 10-10 ten and 10 in their first 20. And they can't hit, but they can pitch. Uh, and yet they're still 500, which I think is a win. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts just briefly on overall the season so far? Well, we've got uh, some... Uh, it's clear that Yelich can't get things together right now. And so yeah. we've got some issues there with our MVP. Hira hasn't been hitting the ball all that well, um, striking out almost 50% of the time. Um, you know, so the offense has been sputtering, but then these role-playing guys kind of have stepped in at pivotal moments and kept the, the train moving. Um, you know, the guys like Holt and Gamel, um, the guys like Sogard. Yeah. And so we've kind of gotten a little bit of a, a flavor, you know, that this team can do more things than just hit bombs and, and you know, win that way like they did last year. So it's been exciting to watch. But then I think the best thing we've gotten as Brewers fans so far is the fact that this pitching staff seems to be a little bit further ahead than we kind of thought they were last year, you know. So um, the evolution continues. Yeah, that does seem to be the biggest surprise. And I want to start right in where, you know, one of the big surprises, I don't know if it's a surprise, we we were hoping. It was like I had termed it into the season as a wild card, and that was Corbin Burns, who – had kind of a so-so start his first time out at Wrigley, but you could see some potential there. And then went to the bullpen, and now he's back in as a starting pitcher, which I've been kind of clamoring for, due in large part to the uh, failures of Eric Lauer, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. But tell me about Corbin Burns and what has been the difference, Dr. Scott, this year where he's gotten back to being a big league pitcher from last year where, of course, he fell off the face of the earth and couldn't get anybody out. What has changed with Corbin Burns? Well, we've always known that Corbin Burns has good stuff, right? And so, I mean, you even say that a good way. How do you say that again? It's, it's he's got good stuff because yeah, that's gotta... how we talk about it with uh, with pitchers. It's a little crazy. We, we all hundred years plus of baseball, and all that we can term is stuff. He's got stuff. stuff. <laughs> One of the best things about the sport. But anyway, so go specific. ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so we've always known that he has uh, the tools to be a good pitcher, right? I mean, the numbers bear themselves out. And then when he gets on the field, it's kind of like, well, sometimes he does it, sometimes he doesn't. But you can see that there's greatness kind of in there. Um, and so all all the Brewer fans that have watched him over the last few years have been licking their chops. Um, and so this year, what we're starting to see is him take that next step. There's definitely evolution going on with Corbin Burns. Last year, he threw his four-seam fastball 52.5% of the time, and guys hit 425 off of it. Um, So, I mean, you don't have to be a baseball aficionado or a statistical guru to to know that. That's not good. Um, And he was throwing at 95.2 miles per hour with a 26.56 spin rate. Now, in 2020, it's gone up to 96.1 miles per hour, so about a one-mile-per-hour increase. And the spin has also increased. 2675 now so it increased by about you know 80 um and he's throwing it this is the most important thing only 38.2 percent of the time now he's using his cutter a lot more and giving hitters different looks when he throws his fastball you don't have to look any further than the batting average this year if you remember last year it was 425 this year it's 238 yeah um so there's I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? And then 
if you look at the whiff percentage, how much he's actually getting guys to swing and miss, guys are actually whiffing less, but he's striking out more guys. And so that implies there's more balls that they're looking at. Um, and, you know, so deception is what Burns is starting to figure out here. Um, he is throwing harder this year. And so the, the you know, the biomarkers that you look for in terms of a good fastball, they're there and getting better. But more importantly, he's learning the mental aspects of this game, how to stratify his velocity bands. In other words, not throw all 94 mile an hour or 97 mile an hour pitches. He's learning how to vary his pitches, even his fastballs. Um, the cutter is a lot different than the fastball that he throws because he has so much spin on his pitches. So, yeah. you know, it looks the same, the release points the same, and it's moving different. Well, I'm going to – so that's the, the main differences with Corbin Burns, and hopefully we see a lot of that against a really, really tough lineup in the Twins tonight. But also – uh, we're seeing a, a, a tremendous uh, bullpen pitcher who was on very, very little on the radar as far as, you know, Ooh. even people who, uh, you know, follow the Brewers, i.e. me. <laughs> you know, I knew that, <laughs> that Devin Williams would be probably a part of the bullpen and, and that he was decent last year. But what happened to this guy? Because all of a sudden he's got a changeup oh, that's man. just fabulous, right? And people are raving about this changeup that Devin Williams has. Yeah, I'm one of them. I can't stop. I mean, this guy's the real deal. I, it's huh. a small sample size, but holy cow. Um, he So he's evolved, too. Speaking of evolution, Devin Williams shifted away from the sinker. He threw that more than anything last year. He throws the sinker 1.2% of the time in 2020. <laughs> it's like two he pitches. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I mean, that you're not exaggerating. Um, he throws the four-seamer and the changeup pretty much exclusively. He works the cutter in about 4% of the time. But when you have a, a four-seamer that averages 96.4, can get up to around 100, and then you have a changeup that is one of the best in the world, um, you, you, you can bank on two. Now let me explain why that changeup is so good. He's thrown it 72 times this year. That's 43.6% of the time. It averages 84.2 miles per hour, which is down 1.7 miles per hour from last year. And the spin rate is up 156 from last year. So it seems like he sacrificed a little bit of velocity for spin. And I asked him that on Twitter. And uh, let me quote his response. He said, I like to play with speeds and game more than I did last year. There's a few variations that I have, different actions to them, depending on what I want the ball to do, kind of like how some guys use their curveball. And so when you look at Devin Williams throw this curveball on TV, you can see that he's got a third finger on the on – the, I'm sorry, the changeup change on yeah. TV. Um, you, you see that he's got a third finger on it, um, and he's using that as like a guide finger. And he can put different pressure on it or angle it in different ways to get the ball to do slightly different things. And so his changeup is never the same twice. Hmm. Um, and so it, the key here now is that he's got that fastball to set it up, and the arm motion on his changeup is pretty much the same. So there's no uh, visible indicator uh, that will cue a hitter in to, to let him know that this is a changeup. So you can't really decipher between the two. Now, if you look at the slash, uh, opponent's slash against the changeup this year, it's they're batting zero. No one has gotten a hit off of it. No one. <laughs> Their on-base percentage is .029. In other words, 
it's a statistical anomaly. They they kind of have to make stuff up <laughs> to, to to get to get these these kinds of t- statistics. His slugging percentage is zero, or their slugging is zero against it. Yeah. Guys are whiffing fifty seven point nine percent of the time against it. Hmm. Yeah, Let that sink in. Um, yeah. And then when he throws it with two strikes, uh, he strikes out guys forty four percent of the time. Now, if you look at this pitch. If you really dive into what is it doing, why is it so hard to hit? Um, it has 39.8 inches of drop and 18 inches of break, which doesn't mean too much to the average person. So let's compare it to averages. That's It drops 7.2 inches further than the average changeup in the major leagues, and it breaks five inches better than the average changeup in the major leagues. And so that's like a foot. <laughs> if you you kind of do crude math uh, of additional movement. Uh, so what he's also doing here too is is peppering it in different ways. Last year he was more predictable. This year he's staying away from the zone a little bit more. In 2019 he threw 47.2 uh, pitches uh, percent of his pitches into the zone. In 2020 it's 39.4. He's getting guys to chase more. They're missing more. Um, in, in fact, a lot more. In 2019, the whiff percentage um, was 25.4% on his changeup. In 2020, it's 50%. Hmm. Um, so Devin Williams has figured out, it seems that he's figured out a bunch of things. And the combination of figuring out his changeup, learning how to kind of put variations into that, and then um, vary his pitches and the sequencing has kind of made him, uh, there's no other word, but unhittable. Yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. His ERA is 1.17, I think, is the last time I checked it. I mean, it's just... Uh, 1.04 today. 1.04 today, okay. And just, you know, talk about a uh, incredibly pleasant surprise thus far from the Brewers' bullpen. It's really, it's really been something. So in the interest of time, uh, I'm going to actually move on to a couple negatives. We'll do the negatives last. Uh, what happened to Eric Lauer? Oh, my goodness. What happened to Eric Lauer? Now, you know, he's new to the Brewers this year, so all Brewer fans have seen from him are three appearances, one good relief appearance, and then two rough starts. And, and you know, to be fair, his last time out, he gave up a seven-run inning. There were some defensive miscues behind him, but still – Eric Lauer has been getting beat around a bunch to the tune of, uh, you know, 13 earned runs in his last two starts, and he's going down to uh, Appleton here uh, to try and work mm-hmm. it out. But what, what happened? Because he was okay with San Diego, right? He was an okay pitcher. Yeah, no, he was good. Um, and he's got he's got a lot of uh, the tools that you'd want to see. I mean, he's a lefty. He's a big guy. He's, uh, you know, long, kind of like Hater, those long limbs. Um, and so he's kind of got on paper the stuff you'd like to see in a pitcher. He's young. There's a lot of team control associated with him. Um, and so it made sense in a lot of ways. Um, but what you have to understand about him is he's a finesse pitcher. If you look at um, baseball savant, uh, you know, it's, it's all stat cast driven data and stuff. It's a great website. If you've never visited, go, please. Um, but what they do is part of the website or their statistical analysis is they compare pitchers to other pitchers based on statistics and then based on velocity and movement. And if you compare Eric Lauer to other pitchers based on velocity and movement, in other words, what he's throwing, how it's moving, etc., the guys he, he looks most like, quote unquote, are Bumgarner, Hamels, Quintana and Sandoval. So these guys are all finesse guys. They're all vets, you know, who work work the count, who sequence pitches well, who, you know, they're crafty. 
And so he's not going to overpower guys, Lauer. You know, he's he's built in the mold of these finesse pitchers. And he's got to maximize deception. And what I see when I watch him on the mound is he's like this tall guy who shows the ball to the hitter the entire delivery. Um, it's kind of like he's announcing, here it comes. And then, <laughs> and then he shows it to them and then throws it right where they think it's going to go. And so, I, the, you know, I'm not a pitching coach for the Brewers, but the thing that occurred to me is why wouldn't he turn his body away and hide the pitch and hide his delivery a little bit more like Hader does? Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I'm no pitching coach, but it seems like he's got some um, small changes and adjustments to make. And if he can kind of dial in his game he might be able to pitch like you know a Hamels or a Quintana or a Sandoval but you know he does seem like he's got a ways to go yeah we'll see we'll see if he comes back up with the club this year uh, obviously it depends on how things go and the shortened season affects that but he's going to try and work it out uh, in their their other camp in Appleton yeah, that's uh, key too you know yeah. he had COVID he was traded it's yeah he's been through a lot or- it's true it's a lot to adjust to it for everybody we kind of forget that on the field this season because you you tend to think of these guys more as robots uh you know right. and they're not obviously they're they're very very human all right I'll wrap up on this Keston Hira Seems like he can't hit a fastball this year. I'm probably exaggerating, but no, the right. strikeout rate is really something and surprising to me because he's a hitter. And I, I'm not at all worried, to be honest, Dr. Scott, that you know, if Flame Autry won't get it back. And obviously he's still come up with some hits during this stretch for the Brewers, but the strikeouts are frustrating, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and you you, you nailed it, man. Um, it's the fastball. Last year he crushed it. His slugging percentage um, – with the fastball uh, last year was 529, uh, and in 2020 it's 412. So he's hmm. dropped away off. But more more notable than even that is his whip percentage. You, you were saying he can't hit the fastball, and you're right. 47.8% of the time he swings at a fastball this year, he misses it. Um, yeah. So wow. that's, that's up tw- like almost 20% from last year. And so I don't know how to, you know, make sense of that, to be honest. If you look at the off-speed stuff and the braking stuff, he's getting a little bit more braking stuff this year as opposed to the off-speed. Um, and so maybe guys are figuring him out a little bit, but it's really the fastball that's giving him trouble. So it doesn't make much sense. It's probably related to, you know, different ways that, that he's being pitched that he's not making the adjustment back to. In other words, if guys are throwing him more breaking stuff, maybe he's up there guessing a little bit and not comfortable. So that could be the case, and that just might right. take some time to iron out. Sometimes that's just the the deal. But you, you have to figure, based on what you've seen and what the analytics tell you from Keston here, Dr. Scott, that he will figure it out because he just seems like this just incredible natural hitter, right, with power well, he, and... What he does. You know what you're going to get with him, right, Ben? I mean, we know he's going to strike out. We know he's going up there to swing and to hit. Um, he's That's just the kind of the deal. And with Hira, his offensive production, his slugging percentage has always, has always outweighed the, the strikeouts, you know? I mean, so if he can continue to hack away and then dial back into that fastball, um, yeah, I mean, I think the production will come right back. He's still doing okay. Um, and when he makes contact with that fastball, he's actually uh, it's exiting with a velocity that's 3.8 miles per hour faster than last year. Hmm. So I think you're right. It seems like he's pressing if you really look at the numbers. Yeah, there's no analytics for pressing. 
that's more into your realm of your day job, Dr. Scott, of, of that's being right. a psychiatrist. Perhaps you should message Keston here on Twitter and say, hey, I can prescribe something for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I've got some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've got some other stuff for you. <laughs> we could get into some legal trouble there, but whatever. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Dr. Scott, you can find him at brewmaths.com. Also, brew underscore maths on Twitter. And uh, it's always fun. We will uh, we'll try and do this again next week. Huh? We'll do this weekly again. You know, I'm I'm all for it. I'm I'm yes. back into the flow. Okay. Tuesdays with Doctor Scott. Yeah. Or sometimes Wednesdays. But let's try to make it yeah. Tuesdays. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll there's a lot to talk about. There's way, so many more guys to talk about from what we've seen this season. So I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Doctor Scott. Thank you. So Brewers and Twins tonight at Target Field in Minneapolis. After that one off day, I think it's the only off day they have in August. Or very similar. Uh, now they had the unscheduled off days earlier uh, in the month because they were going to play the Cardinals and that didn't come to fruition because of the COVID. So they got a little break there, but this is the only scheduled off day that they have in quite some time. And so uh, back to action tonight, Corbin Burns, as we've been talking about all show long, going to take the mound for the Brewers against Kenta Maeda for the Twins. And Kenta Maeda only gave up a couple of runs and six plus innings of work at Miller Park uh, last week. So the Brewers will be looking to try and solve him a little bit better and we'll see if they can do that tonight. And we'll see if maybe, you know, maybe they can even grab the lead in a game. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe put up a crooked number early, even if it's just two, <laughs> to try and get a little bit of a lead against the Twins. And we know the Twins have this potent offense, a very tough offense. They go from a patient and potent offense against the Cubs to another potent offense who really can play some long ball, which the Brewers experienced last week at Miller Park. The Twins took two out of three. The Brewers have won three in a row. We'll see what can happen here tonight and in the next uh, three nights here with the Brewers and the Twins at Target Field. And hopefully they can stay hot and figure out a way to leave Minneapolis above 500, which would mean they would have to take two games out of three here against the Twins. And then, as we talked about on yesterday's podcast, the schedule gets easier on paper for sure as the Brewers have the Pirates in Pittsburgh, and then uh, four more back at uh, Miller Park. Or, uh, I might have that reversed where it's four in Pittsburgh and uh, three at Miller Park back. But I'll check it again. But anyway, seven times. doesn't really matter where. Seven times they have the Pirates in the next ten games, and that's going to be a, a big uh, opportunity for the Brewers to put some cushion and get themselves above 500. And then in the next 20 games, again, there's the opportunity here to make some hay, as they say. I don't even really know what making hay means. Uh, it's an old farming reference. That's certainly something I know. Or I'm guessing here. Anyway, the Brewers and Twins tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And we'll uh, look forward to the next ball game on Wednesday. And thanks again to Dr. Scott for joining us and Built Bar for sponsoring Lockdown Brewers. Uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You can always find me on Twitter at Cheesehead Talks or at... Uh, Lockdown Brewers or Facebook.com slash Lockdown Brewers. Please rate and review us if you're listening on Apple. And again, I'll talk to you tomorrow when we deliver your daily Brewers fix right here on Lockdown Brewers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hey,